maybe about three weeks later, I was asked to go back to that house meeting again. And yes, I did. And that night they prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I did. Oh, the joy that filled my life that day. It was just, it's life-changing because I now know with an assurance that God knew who I was, where I was, and now he's promised he would be with me. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. Today we are blessed to be joined by a wonderful woman of God, Sister Sue Downs. Sister Downs has served in ministry alongside her husband, Bishop John Downs, for the better part of five decades. Bishop Downs currently serves as General Superintendent of the UPCA, an office that they have held for over 20 years. Sister Downs also served as the National Women's President of the UPCA for a number of years and has ministered throughout the world. She was very instrumental in the establishing of the Audrian Schism Children's Home in Mizoram, India, which we cover at length in this episode. It was an honor to have her join the podcast, and I know you will leave this conversation inspired. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited. It's different for me, but I'm excited. We're so blessed to have you on here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I, the parts of your story that I know, um, I, I love, and I'm looking forward to learning more about you and, and about what you've done for the kingdom over the years. Thank you very much. I feel very honored to be here. Honestly, I do. We were texting back and forth, and you are saying that uh, you and Brother Downs went out to uh, Houston, I think it was last week, and now mm-hmm. you are stuck in a two-week mandatory quarantine at home. Can oh, you believe goodness. it? <laughs> so I saw, yes. that as, I saw that as my opportunity to get this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> right, make hay while the sun shines, huh? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, that's what we thought when we went down to Houston. We thought, oh, good. We'll take a break and go down and visit the churches down there. There's um, a couple of Fijian churches and Tongan churches that started up about a year ago. And, you know, we've kind of mothered them and fathered them and encouraged them in getting into Bible school and everything. So we thought we'd go and check and see how it's all going. And this is our penalty. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good seeing uh, what God is doing down in, in Houston in yes. those churches, yes. but uh, yeah, it's a, a testament to to you two that uh, you wanted to have some time away, but decided to visit churches as well and <laughs> your relaxing time away. Oh, good. But they have had in the past year about 40, 45 baptisms. Wow, that's so amazing. So the church is growing, even though quarantine and COVID has hit a lot of the areas and a lot of the churches, this church down there is growing it's it's amazing it's wonderful that's awesome yes well yes. i'd like to start off these conversations with our guests just uh to get a bit uh background uh how you grew up where where you grew up those sorts of things just to get a bit of an idea of where you're coming from uh, and so the li- listeners get to know you a bit more so if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a, 
a bit of your background and how you grew up? Well, <laughs> I was thinking about this and as my grandchildren would tell you, Grandma, what was it like in the olden days? <laughs> <laughs> so they probably think I'm very antique and very old, which I guess when you're closer to 70 than you are to 60, that's probably the truth. <laughs> but I grew up in the country of Victoria, uh, right down, right on the R Wilson's Promontory area where we didn't have running water or electricity. Can you believe oh, wow. it? <laughs> A life without all the modern cons and we had to boil the copper and do for the water and then bathing was down by the river or in the dam wherever oh, we wow. were living. So it was a very different beginning for me to what a lot of people would know these days. But much of our growing up was very difficult, very tough. A family of six children, so we were very poor. But all of that makes you resilient, I think, mm. is a good word. My father, um, he worked on farms. We didn't own a farm, but we worked for the people who owned the farm, which gave us accommodation and our lodgings, our foods and things like that. So sometimes there were cattle farms, which was very challenging, getting up very early, like five in the morning, go down and feed the, you know, bring the cattle up, get the dogs to bring the cattle up and then milking cows, sometimes maybe a hundred cows, oh, my wow. brother and I and the farmer and my father and that would milk the cows by hand, which in the summertime, six o'clock or five o'clock is, is good, but in the winter, whew, it's freezing. <laughs> Break the ice as you go down the, down the track, you know. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes it was sheep farming. That was a little bit easier. Um, we learned, we had to learn how to slaughter the sheep, you know, hang them up by the back legs and do the deed and then bury the consequences. <laughs> and then there's potato farming. We did that for a number of years. And my brother and I, we would have to go to work, even though school was not a priority and um, education was not a priority because we lived bush, you know, mm. right out. Roughly so, how old? Roughly how old were you doing this when you were doing this farm work? All before I was 15. Oh, wow. Okay. Because at 15, we moved to the country, to this, uh, a little bit into the city, not, not, not the big city, just a bigger country town. Hmm. So my brother and I, we would get up and um, go down and uh, fill, fill the bags half full because potatoes are quite heavy. And then the older people would come and take the bags to the next position. So it was dirty and dusty. And that's why I learned to eat cold, drink cold tea. Can you imagine? Mm. You know, we would fill up these bottles with tea in the morning and a little bit of sugar. And that was our sustenance for the day. And then we'd come home and we'd have what was left. So because we didn't have a car, it was difficult to get around and all that sort of thing. So. Then, as the saying would go, with my mother's family, when the grass would grow, we would move. 
And a lot of that was because of the reputation that my parents had with mm. the people. They were um, both were drinkers and smokers, very hardworking people, but, you know, tough times, right. tough times. So um, what else did I say? Our, I wrote down here, our home was filled with violence and abuse. Physical, sexual, and verbal, you know, we were never good enough, mm. which is probably why I've struggled a lot with self-confidence. A lot of people might think I'm very confident. I am confident in God, but Amen. not for myself. So anyhow, when I, uh, when I was about 15, my bro we had moved now to a little bit closer to the civilization. We actually had a house that had running water. The bathroom was outside and toilet was outside, but we had electricity mm -hmm. and um, he had gotten into trouble with the law. You know, he didn't know how to mix with people and he, he was very violent. I think he'd learned that in the home. Yeah. Things didn't work. Then that's what you do. You, cause a fight and we'd started back at school and alcohol escalated abuse escalated and because of all this my parents and we didn't go to church as kids at all never Sunday school nothing right. and then um when we were about I think it was about 15 maybe a little bit before that my parents thought it would be good to send us to church, to Sunday school, <laughs> because um, mainly because of getting into trouble with the law with mm -hmm. my brother. So we went. I went off to Sunday school, and I still remember the day. Um, a man named Ricky Seltman, young man, he was teaching the Sunday school class that I was in, and he. He asked if any of us would like to go to a house meeting, a church house meeting. And for me, it was like, okay, I can get out of the house, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm away from the, the parents. Right, and yeah. So I said, yes, I go. And I went. And this is life-changing for me because we went there and he said, oh, they're South African people. <laughs> well, Greg, I thought South African people, you know, they must be like Zulus. <laughs> Sorry, I we didn't have the internet to exactly, check out what, yeah, yeah. all of this, you know. So I go there and the man that was preaching, he was in a wheelchair. His name was Praben. And um, he preached on John chapter 10. Incredible. I still remember it my sheep and being a farm girl this just related to me my sheep know my voice and i know their voice mm. and i'm like wow this is i was i don't know even what to say but i was so taken by that that i determined i was going to find that god that would know my voice wow because if i go back to the farm days when i would walk down that track to get the cows to bring them up for milking 
I would tell them all my troubles. Mm. I would tell them how tough life was, how sad I was. I'm sure they <laughs> they listened. Maybe they felt <laughs> sorry for me. Yeah. But in all that, I know that God was listening to me. Mm-hmm. And then that particular night when we were at the house meeting with those people, I now know it was a tongue that came forward. I just thought their language, they're talking about <laughs> themselves, yeah. you know. Fair they enough. Know anything. Right. So, and then when the interpretation came, which, you know, now I can talk the language, when it came, it revealed my life. Mm. What can you say? What can you say? But God knew me Mm. long before I knew him. And I determined that night that I was going to find that God that knew who I was, where I was, the pain, the suffering, if you want to call it that, that I was going through. So that was how I became a Christian. And then um, that night, maybe about three weeks later, I was asked to go back to that house meeting again. And yes, I did. And that night they prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I did. Oh, the joy that filled my life that day was just, it's life changing because I now know with an assurance that God knew who I was, where I was, and now he's promised he would be with me. So that's amazing. That's That's amazing. That's my few years of my life. (laughs) That's a beautiful story. Was uh, was that a a UPCA church or a church affiliate with UPC then? No, it was... Nothing to do with UPC, not at mm. all. It was just a group of South African people who, um, they, they were um, white South African people, mm-hmm. and um, they just had house meetings. Wow. And so how did you find your way to a UPC church? <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> well, after... Um, be getting saved as as you know we we now say those words that's a language that we speak now but once i knew who god was my parents became very angry because i became dedicated to reading and to prayer and you know i just really i had to walk to work i had started a, an apprenticeship at this stage now i'm 15 i started working I earned $12.65, my first wage, and 10 of that was given in board. And um, I gave it to my parents. You'd think that you're going to get some food when you get home, but there was never anything. And one night I refused to do the dishes because I didn't eat any food. Mm. And um, that ended up in a very violent night. Um, I was knocked out. I was unconscious. The police were called and I was taken away as 
as my older brother was taken away. And one of the police was um, the son of a Pentecostal preacher. Oh, wow. And instead of taking me to wherever, he took me to their home. And I went there and they became my foster parents. So um, my foster dad at that stage, he was with the Assemblies of God, mm-hmm. very well known in New Zealand, very well known around Australia. And um, he used to teach in the Bible school up in, in Toowoomba and places like that. And I became the daughter that they never had. So oh, wow. that was that was just wonderful, very life changing for me. Yeah. And um, so then, um, how old were you then? Were you sixteen? I would have been sixteen, seventeen, something okay. like that. Yeah. And, uh, and which then, which church was he in? Well, in at this day? stage. He was just beginning to leave the Assemblies of God because oh, right. they, right. didn't, um, they didn't hold to what he believed because now he realized that, you know, things were different to what the Assemblies of God and the holiness standards were leaving. And, you know, he was the oneness and all that sort of thing was all mm-hmm. in my dad, my foster dad's mind. So he was searching himself. So he left the Assemblies of God. And he was just preaching around a little bit. And then um, somebody in the city of Dandenong in Victoria had started a a coffee shop. In fact, it was my husband that is now my husband, my husband now. And his friend were going to this coffee shop and they were offering, um, what do you call it, you know, toasted sandwiches and coffee Mm -hmm. for the young people off the streets so that was going on for a number of years but then the coffee shop began to grow and have many many young people coming in and they would have all night prayer meetings and they would see people delivered from um, demons and alcohol and it was it was amazing but my husband had only just been filled with the holy ghost at that well my now husband. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this stage, he was not my husband, right? <laughs> and um, he had just been filled with the Holy Ghost, realizing that he was not capable or knowing enough to lead this as a church. So he and my, um, the man who started the coffee shop came to my dad and asked if my dad would take over the spiritual side of the coffee shop, have regular Sunday meetings. Mm. So, yes, my dad said yes, and, of course, I'm part of the the yes. I went <laughs> along, <laughs> and I remember the first first Sunday afternoon it was, and I go upstairs, and I see, you know, they've got it all laid out like a, a couple of rows. They turned the coffee shop into a church, and there we had our first church service, and I met john at that stage but nothing happened we didn't you know we were i was on fire for the lord and i saw young people so from there 
then my dad started he had a friend who was in the Nazarene and they traveled around a few of the different churches and then he asked my dad why don't you come along to the UPC okay. so that's where we did so uh, he he joined it a bit later along with mm-hmm. the the coffee shop church yeah and yep, then... that's how the Danny Nong Nari Warren Limbrook Church actually started. Oh wow, the Limbrook Church. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's all so connected. Cool. So what was the uh you guys started joining uh the UPC, uh which ended up becoming the UPCA once we were become autonomous from from the UPCI. What was it like in those days? Not the olden days, as your grandkids would say, but <laughs> in those days, in the beginning stages of the UPC work. Um, in what, in what way do you mean? What was it like? Uh, as in like the, the growth of the church, um, you know, what, what it was like, uh, being part of a growing organization, because obviously you got the UPC wasn't anywhere near the size it is now. Um, Mm -hmm. what was it like in, in, in those days? Well, the UPC has been in Australia since 1953, I think it was, and um the first meetings in Daninong were actually in a cow shed and not too far from where I ended up living not too far from there at all but it was small and we we struggled with um oneness that was always you're a radical if you're oneness Mm -hmm. and in those days speaking in tongues was definitely of the devil and you know you would find write-ups in the newspaper about churches that did this and churches that did that it wasn't accepted in those days right at all but we had a good church um maybe 60 people in the church mm-hmm. and that was considered a good sized church yeah um my dad's friend he had a church of around around about the same size maybe a little more that's the croydon church mm-hmm. yeah and then Ultimately, trying to tie some of this together, ultimately, you and we all know him as Brother Downs. Uh, <laughs> I will not be saying his first name, but uh, you and Brother Downs, uh, obviously, you started dating, got married, and then he, uh, you both felt the call to ministry. How long was it? How long were you uh, at, at the church in Denlong Den before you guys ended up uh, were you ended up pastoring in Canberra? Well, our children were six and seven. So I guess we were in the Daninong church that became a UPC church around about 10 years. Okay. Yes. And then, so you were there for about 10 years uh, as you both were developing in ministry. And then you ended yes. up answering the call to go to Canberra. How did, how did that come about? How did that come about you two receiving the call to go to Canberra? Well, we were always promised that we would be able to take the Dandenong Church over. Um, that was my my foster dad's desire that we would do that. But amazingly, on a one Sunday, my husband was not well. And he went down the front for prayer. And my foster dad actually prophesied. And I think, Greg, back in those early days, there was far more um, like when I say, you know, the night that I knew God, there was that tongue and interpretation. 
And I think there was far more prophecy and moving of the spirit mm. in those earlier days than there is in today. Right. I think people, I don't, I don't understand why, but I think there were more, of, mm. maybe, I don't know. I don't understand why. So my dad prophesied over him and said that he, that God was going to uproot us, that we were going to go across the seas and we were going to be, um, taking a church and all of these things were the things that my dad did not want. <laughs> right. But so anyhow, he prayed for my husband's healing and I'm sure the Lord touched him, but we were just shocked about what was coming out of his mouth. So we always knew from then that we would not stay in Deninong. And it was many years that before we moved, like um, I don't even know if we had children. So maybe seven or eight years before we actually moved. And then um, there were a couple of people, Sister Helen Cole, she came to Australia and she asked if we had a church and we said, no, she said, you'll have your church before I come back next year. We're like, right, we'll let the prophets judge. <laughs> but she was right. And we did not know Canberra at all. And that night that she came into Australia, we actually were accepted to pastor this church here. Oh, wow. So we're very excited, very excited. Sold a house, purchased a house, all within two, and moved within two weeks. <laughs> oh, man. Amazing. Yeah, that is. That's, That's incredible. God. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so how, what was the church like in Canberra? At that time, what was the size of it and how long it, had it been there? It had been here a number of years. Um, Brother Holden had actually started the work here, been here eight years. And um, that was, <laughs> we, the church had been here eight years, but it was, and it was a good size. When Brother Slack, that you, uh, you know very well, when he installed John and I, there were about 60 to 80 people in the church. And we thought, wow, this is going to be great. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Lord. You know, this is good. Okay. Church that night, we had eight people. <laughs> and we were four of them. Oh, man. So that can tell you that it wasn't good. And we were not very well received because my dad had a very strict reputation Okay. Was, you know, he was strict in lots of areas. So we came with baggage, as it were. But the Lord knew, and um, we worked with the people. And my husband got from the Lord, I believe, the trauma of enlightenment. And he preached that even baptism was not happening in this church. Mm. And once he started to preach on the trauma of enlightenment, People began to get the Holy Ghost. People began to get baptized. People began to live holy. And the church now is, is grown. We, we worked here for 30 years and mm. then handed over to our son. Yeah, it's awesome to see uh, what God is doing in Canberra and the, the growth of the church there. Uh, around what year was it that you went to Canberra? I don't know if you mentioned it or not. 83 or 84 in, yeah. In that time. Yes. 
So you've been in Canberra, uh, you and your husband have been in Canberra for almost 40 years. Yeah. And, and obviously you've seen so much change within the church and, and what God has done, uh, yeah. not just in Calvary Chapel, but also uh, in your ministry. Uh, Around Australia, totally, yeah. Yeah. And, and then ultimately, um, Brother Downs and yourself were elected as general superintendent of the UPCA. What year was mm -hmm. that? Um, how many? 20, 20 something years ago? 22, okay. maybe? So I just wanted to touch on this uh, before we move on to some other interesting stories that you can tell us and, and different things that, that have been accomplished uh, through your ministry. I wanted to give you an opportunity to give some advice to young people or to young couples out there who feel the call of God in your life, on their lives. Uh, you were saying that you and your husband felt that God was stirring in your hearts to go to Canberra. You were elected, and then within two weeks, you were transplanted from everything you knew in Victoria and the Melbourne area over to Canberra. So what advice would you give a young couple that is seeking after the will of God, the call of God in their lives, and, and how they should respond. It, it's probably, it would be different for everyone, I'm sure. But I think having that close relationship with the Lord makes the difference because um, just knowing that God is directing your life and whatever comes, and it's not the first place we could have gone to. We were asked to go to the Alice Springs Church, but it was not the will of God. We didn't feel that was right. We were actually also asked to go to Townsville. Mm. And we knew in our spirit that that was not right. It just, mm. we're not being rebellious. We're not we wanted to go, we wanted to do, we wanted to be. And these opportunities were coming, but we never felt that they were for us. So when Canberra came up, I had been to a women's meeting that night. And when I came in, my husband told me about what had happened. I said, okay, when do we go? It's just being close to the Lord. He is a God that he knows us. He hears us and we can hear his voice. So I think it's about blocking out everything hmm. and just concentrating on what God really wants you to do. Right. And having, that, having that open, uh, having that openness to, to the call of God and to the leading yeah. of the Lord. Yeah, it's yeah. so very important, especially uh, when you're, when you have different opportunities, you know, you, you may be serving at your local church already. Uh, and you feel like, oh, maybe God wants me to go there. I know with my wife and I, everywhere we go, we feel like, oh man, we could help here. We could do something here. Yeah. Um, but it's just knowing, you know, where God wants you at that time. So you and can. And that's a very good point that you make, Greg. You know, but feel like you go somewhere and you think, oh, I could do this. I could help so much. But is that where God wants you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. So one of the uh, really cool things that, that Calvary Chapel has done, and I believe you spearheaded this, was the the foundation and creation of the Audrey and Sism Children's Home. And uh, in most recent years, they've added on the Suzanne Downs Boarding School, and that's located in Mizoram. The, uh, this is a state in northeastern India, if, uh, for the okay. listeners, if they're not aware of where Mizoram is. 
but this was established um, from my sources. <laughs> they told me it was established, <laughs> I think, in 1993. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I think 1992, actually. Oh, but 92. That's okay. okay. And uh, my wife and I were blessed to uh, support two of the children over there uh, in, in the home in Mizram. Would you mind sharing with us how that came to be? I'm, I'm actually, I've been so supporting and I don't know the whole story. So I would, and I'm sure a lot of people would be very interested in knowing how the, the orphanage got started over there. Uh, yeah. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that story with us. Okay. Um, how that came about is we have a young woman, um, a woman in our church whose father was the ambassador, the Indian ambassador to Australia okay. and um, anyhow in 1989 we went over to the US and um, this man was actually working as the ambassador in Jamaica and asked us if we would visit with him and we said yes yes sure you know and at that time he was actually in Washington so we went and visited he was not well so we prayed with him and then he invited us to come to India now, India is really not on my radar <laughs> at that time. In fact, you know, my, our first trip out of Australia was to the US. So we go to um, visit with him. And then India, it was the Gulf War was on. It's not, not a great time to travel or anything like that. But again, God orchestrated that we would go to India and um, travel up to the Northeast India in a nine hour taxi ride up in the Lushai Hills. I mean, it's crazy. Roads were not made. It was just very oh, difficult travel, but we did that. And then we just were taken just on dusk to a plot of land. The superintendent, we asked him what the land was about. He said, oh, the government gave it to us for an orphanage. And we're like, um, okay, where's the orphanage? Um, there was just a little caretaker's house. So we go and as we leave that place, after having a cup of tea with them, the spirit of God came on my husband particularly, and he began to weep and weep because the orphanage needs to be built. And, um, we asked a question. We said, how much does it cost? Why can't you build the orphanage? And I said, oh, two lakhs. And we're like, Oh, that sounds like $2 million. Forget it, you know. But after our little time there, we realized that two lux was back in those days around about $10,000. Oh, and wow. we thought, we can do this. Yeah. Um, we can do this as a church. We can do this and make it happen. What a blessing it would be mm. to be, be a part of this. So we came back and we asked our church board, we told them the story, how this all happened. And they said, um, we build the orphanage. Now, if you know, the Canberra church back then was very small. Mm. We were just embarking on a building program here. We needed every dollar. And here's our church board saying, build an orphanage. And we're like, oh, anyhow, we, my friend, I have a friend and myself, we really started to raise funds and I'm, I can do sewing and we would sew things. The Vandercoys gave us t-shirts that, that were already cut out. And so day after day after day, we would sew and we would sell. 
wow. making thousands of dollars. But during this time, people would just call us and they say, oh, we believe you're going to build an orphanage. We want to give you some money. Okay. What's your name? So we can send you the receipt. No, no, we don't want receipts. We know we trust you. They just money, as it were, just dropped out of heaven. It's wow. incredible. Um, another family that I remember said, we're just closing a bank account. We just want to give you the money. And we're like, you know, a few dollars. But it was $6,605. Oh, wow. Just given. Just, and today oh, we still don't know who that was. Oh, wow. But God knows. Mm. And then we we went ahead with the orphanage and some some of the church people have been over there. We took a youth team of 25 young people over there and it, it's an amazing place. Yeah. It, um, it's very, it's in a very important place in the history of the UPCA as well, uh, especially yeah. in reference to that youth team that you're talking about. So many ministries were forever impacted by that trip over to Mizoram. I know for a fact, my pastor a lot of the the leaders that I have within my life were on that trip and, and their lives were changed by it. It was amazing. We saw the hand of God in many, many ways and the children there. Probably since then, we've had more than 150 children go through. But at any one time, we can only go up to about 50 children accommodation-wise. But it's a beautiful place. How did it come to be named after Audrey Sism. <laughs> okay. What happened is when we were in the States in 1989, it was just two weeks before Sister Audrey Sism passed away. And we had been to, invited to go to their home, pray with her, read the scriptures with her, and share, she shared her burden for the Northeast India with mm. us. So, of course, there was, an, you know, her burden was the children. So to honor her, we, some people say, oh, did America build it? No, no, Australia built it mm -hmm. and we called it after her because that was her burden. Right. And we were, by the hand of God, were able to do that. And her and her husband, were they the missionaries to India? They were, actually. From the UPCI. Yes, yes. What an amazing story. I know I'd heard parts of that, but I hadn't heard the whole thing. So I wanted to make sure selfishly that I could at least hear that story. I don't know if anyone else cares, but I definitely care. And I wanted to hear that one. You were, you were also uh, very instrumental in the formation of the work in East Timor. Now, this is a story I do know uh, for the listeners, but it's one of my favorites. And, and I, I'm on the uh, Overseas Missions Committee and, and have been doing overseas trips for a number of years. And uh, I love this story about how the UPCA work got started in East Timor. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that with the listeners as well, Sister Downs. Yes, that would be my pleasure. Um, my husband and the overseas missions director, which was Ike Glass at the time, they took a trip because his burden was to reach out into Timor-Leste, or East Timor, same place. And it was a war zone at that time. And they went, the two of them went. I think they were so nervous. And my husband comes back and says the story that every time he went around a corner, he was scared that the car would be 
fired at, mm. but they were in the, the United Nations were there, the Australian Army, the um, New Zealand Army, and many other armies were there. It was the United Nations trying to keep the peace in that area, mm. totally racked with war and devastation. And um, so it, really nothing came of that apart from the fact that they went and obviously, you know, something would come of it. So it would have been about maybe a year later, I received an email and nothing had happened with East Timor at that stage, but I got this generic email, the ones that you oh, highlight yeah. and you're about to delete. Exactly. And again, I heard the voice of God speak to me to read it. So I'm like, okay. So I read this email. It tells me that the mortality rate, infant mortality rate is extremely high. Mothers dying in childbirth because they won't go to ho can't go to hospital because there is no hospital. The children, if they make birth, may not make one. And, you know, it just went on and said all the statistics. But at the end, it said 17 US dollars would help this organization give a, um, a pack to a mother having a baby when she came into the hospital. Just a few little personal things in the pack. I thought, I can do $17. In fact, I can do a few $17. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, this, my head is spinning as I think about this. And then I go upstairs to my husband. And I said, Shook Plum, we need to do something about this. And he's, he's like blown away. And I said to him, we need to do something about this. And then I went on and on and told him more. And he says, well, what do you want me to do? I said, well, give me the church on Sunday morning for five minutes and I will just tell them pretty much about the $17, the generic email, the voice of God. Hmm. And as I'm standing there, people just came and put at my feet $1,500 and a promise of medical supplies, a promise of different you, you know, utensils and things. And I'm like, okay, but what am I going to do? <laughs> and I know the Lord spoke that I should go. Now, this is war-torn right. nation. I don't even speak the language. I do not know Indonesian. I do not know Tetan. I have a hard time with English. <laughs> and not very many there speak English. So we go, I go, and my friend, she, the one who helped me with the T-shirts and that, I'm coming with you. So she and I go, and um, our luggage never arrived. I had appealed to the airlines to take excess baggage with all what I had. And I think I had five suitcases and lots of money and went, but nothing arrived oh, when I man. got there. So I'm like... Oh my goodness, where am I going to, what am I going to do for one week? I decided we would go. So they called me into the office and I said, Mrs. Downs, your luggage hasn't arrived, but tomorrow morning it will come and it will be in our office. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. So I go to a, a motel, which <laughs> had bullet holes in the walls oh, and no wow. windows and dogs and ah 
So I go there and I come back the next morning to the airport and there my luggage is in the office. First miracle is I didn't have to pay any duty Mm. on what I was bringing into the country because they had already cleared. So that's awesome. Thank you, Lord. This is so exciting. Okay, what am I going to do? So I make one call that this from this generic email, the lady who sent it out, I asked her for a phone number and she said, look, this is the only number I have. We didn't have data roaming in those days, but I tried and the lady answered and I said, she spoke English and she said, um, you know, that who she was. And I said, oh, I just need to meet you. Can you come tomorrow morning for breakfast? Yes, no problem. Seven o'clock for breakfast. Yep. Okay. No show. Oh. 7.15, no show. 7.30, no show. And I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? How can I, one week with all this luggage, what am I, and I'm, I'm nervous right. in this war-torn army-filled place so anyhow she and i ring again and she comes which was great and then i went up up into the hills where there's an orphanage and i gave gave out lots of clothing and food we loaded up the vehicle we hired a vehicle loaded it up with food and took it up to the orphanage and did everything we we possibly do got back and we got into trouble because we were out past curfew, (laughs) but that's okay. And um, next day we go to another place and I just not understanding the language, but there is one language that people do understand and that's the language of love. Right. And um, sometimes we would go into different places and we didn't know, but we could pray for people. We could lay our hands on people, just show them, some sort of compassion and of course I had money so I was able to give money or clothing or food or whatever you know just to whatever the need was at that time so we did that for a couple of days and then Greg don't ask me how but I end up in the office of the prime minister's wife oh I'm, I'm still Still blown away, actually, how it happened. I, I, I don't have any, I don't know that I made any arrangements how it came to pass. But there I was, talked with her for a little while. She could speak English, which was great. And then I asked her, because she's fearful, I said, can we pray with you? We laid our hands on her and prayed with her. A few weeks later, I got an email. She thanked me for praying because now she feels safe. She could actually mm. walk her children to school herself. Wow. But all the time, gunshots ringing out. All the time we were there, um, houses being burned down, gang fighting. It was very scary. Right. If you look on, there's, there was a doctor called Dr. Dan, who was an eccentric, I think an American man, and he used to go out into the villages. So I had all this medical supplies and things. So I wanted to meet him. And I asked one of the army guys, do you know Dr. Dan? Oh, yes. 
everybody knows Dr. Dan. Okay, well, I want to go and meet him. So the, the arrangement was made and I get in this truck with this, we call them yobbos, just kind of, you know, disheveled, unkept. <laughs> so we get in there and I go and I meet Dr. Dan and he, I was able to go out into the villages with him for those few times that we were there and then go back, talk to people. And then Brother Glass came in on the, I think on the Saturday. Right. And um, I had gathered a few people that we could have church and we had five baptisms oh, wow. after leaving that That's place. Amazing. It is amazing. I was privileged to go there a few years ago with, with your son, with Brother Jonathan Downs. And uh, yeah, it, it leaves a mark on you. Uh, it does. Team Willis yes. Day. We were able to go out into one of the villages as well. A lot easier nowadays, I'm assuming, than oh. it was then because there's highways yeah. and... Um, yeah. Infrastructure has changed a lot. Yeah, they have a... I went to Burger King over there in <laughs> Gloria <laughs> Jeans. Uh, the hotels haven't gotten much better. <laughs> Not many bullet <laughs> holes, but they're still, uh, still quite... Uh, yeah, exactly. But a uh, beautiful story and amazing how... God can use you if you if you just listen, as you said earlier, having that close relationship with God, having that mm. openness uh, to be used by Him, it's amazing what He can do through your life. I did want to ask this one just before we get close to wrapping up. Um, I ask this to all of the, uh, the people that I have on the podcast: What is your passion after all these years in serving in ministry? What is what is it that drives you when it comes to ministry? I think I kind of know the answer based on how this conversation has gone, but um, what is it that, that drives you, Sister Downs? I think for me, um, one of my favorite scriptures is, they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Mm. What that says to me is it doesn't matter who you are, you can do exploits. You can be an overcomer. And my, my attitude is regardless of where you've come from, doesn't matter what your background, we have a God who can heal us and make us whole. Mm. I mean, even my family are amazed at some of the things that God has done in my life. Right. Um, to me, it, it's about, knowing who God is and that he loves you, he cares for you, and he has a work for you to do. Yeah, knowing God, having that relationship with, with him, and realizing that it doesn't matter who you are, you're not limited in what you can do for God. Amen. And not using excuses. Mm. You know, if you knew my past, then you wouldn't, you know, people use that excuse all the time. But that's not valid where God is because he says, I make all things new. Mm. He gives us a family. It doesn't take away what has happened. It just makes us overcomers. Right. And I know if God will do it for me, he will do it for you. That's my assurance. Because who am I? Amen. 
what what excites you? This is my final question as we start to wrap this up. But what excites you about the church in Australia in 2021? You know, we've had a rough go of it the last couple of years with with the COVID and the restrictions and all that's going on. But God has continued to move. God has continued to have his hand on the church. You shared at the beginning of this conversation about what's happening in Houston. So what excites you about uh, the Australian church in the year 2021? I think I'm excited to see so many young people in the church because in my early days, religion was for older people, (laughs) not younger people. But I think the Lord has allowed generations to come into the church. And, you know, now we have uh, three and four generations of families in the church. Mm, true. That says to me that God is able to keep people. And these people, these young people have friends and it's an exciting church mm. today. It is exciting. It, it is. The music is exciting. The preaching is, preaching is exciting and is always a way to get to church. Right. If you can't travel, you can get on Zoom or it's, it's a great it's a great church. Mm, amen. Well, I wanted to uh, finish this conversation, give you an opportunity. I do this with all of my guests, give you an opportunity to share a word with the listeners, something that God has laid on your heart specifically for this podcast. So, uh, if you could Take us out, Sister Downs, and share a word from the Lord with the listeners here today. Again, I'll go back to my one of my favorite scriptures in John chapter 10. They that know my voice, you know, God knows their voice, and they that know his voice will be strong. As in Daniel said, they will do exploits. And it doesn't matter where you've come from. God has something for you to do. Don't use your past as a crutch. Use it as something that will push you and make you go further. Sister Oaks asked me once to preach at a ladies camp. And she said, I want the theme to be caring enough to share. And the Lord spoke to me then, do I care enough to share my past, my hurts, my feelings? Why do I share it? because I know there are lots of people out there who have hurts, pasts, but I know a God who can set them free. And that's what my passion is, to to see people set free, lives changed by the power of God, and to see young people and older people living in a victory that only God can give. What a blessing it was to sit with Sister Downs and talk about all God has done in her life and through her life. What an amazing story of God's grace and what He can do with a life if they simply say yes to His will. If this blessed you, please share it with a friend and encourage them to follow the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and a number of other platforms. Just search The Hacker Podcast and you should find us. We are releasing content every week, and the best way to keep in touch is to subscribe or follow the podcast so it goes directly into your podcast feed. If you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. We just recently had two uh, great reviews, and I'm so grateful for anyone who takes the extra time to do that. 
Thank you again for your time today. And we look forward to seeing you next time on the Hacker Podcast. Podcast.